What is going on, everybody? Jorge Aquino coming to you live and direct right here out of the west side of the PHX. You know what this is. It's Tormenting Tarmac, baby. It's the podcast where the enthusiast never dies. I hope everybody's having a fantastic day. Date of recording is today, uh, Monday. What is it? August the 21st. That's what it is. We're in, we're already in the second half of August. Literally, I mean, at this rate, Christmas is going to be right around the corner and the year 2024 will be right there too. And I'm not sure what the heck I'm going to be doing with myself by then. But um, enough about that. You know, by the time that this drops, it'll probably be like five days after the fact. But um, the podcast has kind of settled into its uh, back to normal type recording vibe in the sense of recording things probably a few days before they come out. So nothing's going to be three months in advance like it was for a few months there. But that all being said, I have a very, very, very fun guest with me tonight. Uh, someone who I've come to consider a really good friend in the podcasting space. Um, and one of my fellow co-ambassadors of car culture, if you will, that being my good friend, Dan Pilling from Danny P on Cars is hanging out with me tonight on Tormenting Tarmac. Danny P, what's going on, brother? Oh, hey, thank you for having me. Great to be here. Dude, it is an absolute pleasure. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with Dan, um, Dan hosts the podcast, Danny P on cars. Um, I had the honor and the privilege of being on his podcast um, just a few weeks ago um, in the, uh, towards the beginning of July, he was kind enough to go ahead and have me on. And then um, Dan and I have also collaborated with our fellow uh, co-ambassador of car culture as well. Um, Ryan Barkey from the steering committee. Um, and we, we've all been together um, podcasting and um, yeah, we call ourselves the ambassadors of car culture because um, we do this really fun social media hour um, every month. At least we try to, we go ahead and uh, the three of us get together and we also have a few others out there from all over the country. Um, and we just kind of hang out, give each other advice, you know, kind of pump each other up, learn from one another. Um, that was Dan's idea. He brought it up to us like back all the way back in February. And we kind of haven't really missed a month except for when Dan went out to the UK, like in the middle of the, of the spring. That was about, that was really about it. Right, Dan? Yeah, I think we've, we've kept it going and uh, it's a great little group. We all support each other and we all, you know, help each other with ideas and it's just a great thing to have it is it is um but i want to talk about you tonight i want to focus on you i want to focus on what i believe the things that you're bringing into car culture you know um over the last few months i've talked about that tormenting tarmac is wanting to expand outside of arizona i still want to focus on my home state i still want to focus on my hometown but i wouldn't be doing car culture justice if i didn't get a chance to broaden it out to different areas around the country or even around the world god willing um and so dan is if you can tell by his accent he is of course british a wonderful handsome british man um a very sophisticated individual but he is based out of the pacific northwest uh, uh specifically just in the seattle area and so dan that's a really big crazy jump for a brit to make to go from on the other side of the atlantic to chrome across and then go an additional 3000 plus miles all the way to the Pacific Northwest. So how in tarnations did that even come out, come about, bro? Yeah, I I've been here for nearly nine years, which is scary considering it was going to be a two year stint. Uh, wow. Working in the UK in tech, I worked for a, a small startup called Microsoft uh, and the opportunity came up for me to move over to Seattle. Uh, and, you know, these opportunities in life don't happen every day. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, for someone to say, hey, we'll, we'll pay to move you to Seattle, I was like, right, where do I sign up? Uh, so <laughs> massive adventure. Uh, I took everything I knew about car culture in the UK, brought it over, and then realized I had a whole load to learn about car culture in the US, which I'm still learning. But, uh, you know, Seattle's a great place to listen to car culture, to hang out with people. It gets a bad rep in terms of, oh, well, doesn't it always rain there? It rains a lot, I won't lie, um, but we have, you know, five or six months of just glorious weather, and that's when a lot of the car culture really comes to life. That's beautiful, man. And you know what? Considering that you are from Britain, I would assume that it was actually, even though you were moving, I mean, excuse my math here for a second, but about 6,000 miles, if I'm not mistaken, give or take, um, to be able to move from somewhere like the UK and then go to a place in the United States that has a very similar vibe to that of the United Kingdom. I would assume that that at least made it kind of ease in, be easy for you at the start, I, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I think Seattle is a, a great mixture of cultures. There's mm-hmm. so much tech in this corner of the US that it brings a lot of international folks. Uh, so, you know, climate wise, it's pretty similar in the winters. In the summers, I'd say Seattle's nicer and hotter. I mean, the UK is getting a really bad a bad summer this year and goodwood was a testament to that they had the saturday literally blown off because of the weather Um, but uh yeah so bringing some things that were familiar over was great but then learning a lot of great stuff as well no for sure i mean and you know what big shout out to of course um dylan from dupont registry and lorenzo uh the speedy weedy who were actually just my previous guests here on the podcast they actually made it out to uh, Goodwood um, in July and um, their Saturday got canceled. Thankfully they also had Sunday tickets and they did tell, I, I asked them straight up, Dan, and I'm sure that you can attest to this because of your uh, friends still back in the UK. I asked them, you know, was the wind as bad as they claimed it was? And they were like, Oh no, it was definitely windy. They a hundred percent. I understand why they went ahead and clo- closed it down for that day. My understanding was the tents and the stands were only rated to go Dan for maybe 35 to 40 mile an hour winds and the gusts that they were getting were like 45 to 50. That's what I heard. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people were worried about, so you had these stands and, you know, underneath these stands, it's a, it's a place where a lot of these cars are launched. Mm-hmm. So they launch cars. Uh, I think my next guest on my podcast was with your guests at Goodwood uh, nice. Whether he told the story because I haven't caught up with your podcast yet, but they went up to the Mercedes Benz world. Did that come up on your podcast? I don't think the Mercedes thing came up. Who, who by the way, who who is it that's coming on to to Danny P on cars? Is it Cody? So it is Cody Lewis. Yeah. Oh, LA Car Spotter. All right. Shout out to yeah. Cody. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, big big shout out to Cody. I recorded with him last weekend, which was probably the busiest weekend in LA for cars of the year because it's the weekend before Car Week. Absolutely. Uh, but, but Cody, I think, was with your guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went to Mercedes-Benz World. Okay. So Saturday was ruled out. There's no way that they're getting to Goodwood. So they decided to go and do a couple of visits to different car companies and stuff. So anyway, at Mercedes-Benz World, all the cars from Goodwood that have been going up the hill are going around this little track. So Mercedes-Benz World is a um, both a, a kind of car dealership as well as a, a driving experience center. Oh, cool. Okay. So they got to see things like the AMG one, the new supercar or hypercar from Mercedes going around this small track. Uh, sorry, it was a nice little story that, uh, you know, your day's been winded off and you can't get to your festival. 
So you go to something else and get an equally good experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Dylan and Lorenzo, as well as Jordan, who was with them and uh, Cody was hanging out with them, too. They told me they basically just kind of walked around central London car spotting and they say they said that it was absolutely can't miss. I think I have a video that Dylan was kind enough to send me. Uh, it's, it's a little bit tough, but you can see a brand new singer DLS just kind of like rolling through downtown London or central London right there. And it's not every day that you get a chance to go ahead and see a brand new singer DLS, um, and whatnot, which is really, really cool. But, um, so Dan, you know, you've been in the States for like the lap for about the last nine years, you went ahead and told me, but obviously you're a native, um, Brit. And I'm just curious, you know, you, you talked about how, in the nine years you've been here in the United States, you've had a lot to learn about the, um, you know, car culture in particular here in the States. But I want to go ahead and take us back a little bit. I want to go ahead and take us to 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 a young old lad out there in the UK, um, and just kind of, you know, give us the vibe of what is um, UK car culture because you and I have had this conversation as well as with Ryan in the past over on the steering committee where. Um, We've said that London car culture in particular, and I know that I, I kind of feel bad for only using London because the entirety of the UK is this en- enormous car hub. Um, but what can you give us and tell us what the flavor is and why it is that way? Because it's very different to that of what we have here in the United States. Yeah, uh, there's lots of areas I can go with this. So yeah, we start with London. So obviously mm-hmm. London's the capital. London's an interesting place in terms of there's a lot of wealth there, but there's also a lot of wealth that's not necessarily British or English wealth. So in the summer, uh, you tend to get a lot of international people flying their cars into London. Mm. Uh, So you would get people from the Middle East, people from Russia. um, You know, these folks that have got lots of money would bring their supercars to London. And that's one of the reasons why some of the folks like supercars of London, Shmi, et cetera, were quite successful because they were videoing those cars. Uh, so, you know, lots of guests with cars is always a good thing if they're super and hyper cars. Um, motorsport is a big thing and, and was a big thing nine years ago. Lots of tracks within very easy distance from each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'll have heard of, you know, Silverstone and Goodwood, but we've got, you know, Brands Hatch, Donington, uh, Mallory Park. We, so Anglesey. Anglesey, yeah. I mean, yeah. The track for so many of those great videos that we love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've got all these great tracks, and they're all in on the small island, right? So motorsport was a big thing for me. I used to go and see what we would call the British touring cars, which mm-hmm. were your kind of sedans uh, that were racing. So it looked similar to what you were able to buy in the shops. In the you know, uh, so we would be able to go and see these cars racing every weekend and you know, myself and friends would drive to the different tracks to go watch the racing. So that was a big thing in terms of car culture. Car modifications were big. Uh, I think in a different way to over here, uh, you know, our engines and et cetera are pretty much smaller. You know, we didn't have lots of V8s because our gas prices are so much higher than you have over here. So, but car modifications were a big thing. Car meets used to happen in the car parks of supermarkets. Um, but things have evolved. I mean, I used to work at Goodwood. I, I worked at Goodwood for a couple of years, um, again, probably 10, 11 years ago. Uh, and Goodwood has become so much bigger than it was back then. You know, it, it used to be able to hang out with all the drivers, you know, meet the Formula One drivers, et cetera. 
Uh, so yeah, that that's kind of evolved. Um, motorsport Formula One. I mean, you know, I don't know how many of the teams, but probably five or six of the teams are within 10, 15 miles of each other. So it's a real hub for, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I was lucky enough to work with a couple of the Formula One teams when I was working at Microsoft. So, you know, got to hang out at different factories and that sort of stuff. So I don't know if that answers your question, but, uh, you know, I think we had a really good hub for motorsport. I think we had great supercars and visiting great supercars uh, and, and then just, you know, car modifications. No, for sure. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And uh, yeah, you're you're right. I'd be about half the grid in Formula One is based out of uh, the United Kingdom. Um, you've got, of course, um, Mercedes AMG Patronus has a, a factory. Um, Red Bull has their factory there. Um, uh, McLaren, Aston Martin. Um, who else has their factory? Has Alpine? a factory there? Alpine has a factory there. Um, and I'm forgetting someone else. Who? Williams. Oh, of course, Williams. Who could forget forget Williams? Williams. Yeah, I know. So that's six out of the 10, right? And then, of course, the rest of them. And I I, I even want to go ahead and say Haas has a factory in the UK. I'm not sure. I know they do a lot of work in the US, but they probably need to have a factory in the UK, right? They have to be have some type of base out in Europe or something yeah. of that nature. Um, and then, of course, all the rest of them, you know, Alpine has a respective factory in the UK, but they also have their factory in France as well. And then, you know, you've got the Italians, you know, Ferrari being in, out in, Mar- in Marinello and um, and uh, uh, Alpha Tauri has its own respective factory. Uh, um, factory out there in Italy as well. And Alfa Romeo is, um, they, what do they do? They, they split it between like um, Italy and Switzerland. I think one of the teams, at least one of the teams is in Switzerland. So maybe it's, I think it's Alfa Romeo because they were Sauber because they're Sauber. They were Sauber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That would make and sense. Then they'll be Audi. They're going to be Audi in 2026. Mm-hmm. They're going to be Audi in 2026. So Alfa Romeo is going to be losing the or not losing but they will no longer be the title sponsor for Sauber going forward after next season so for the next two seasons 24 and 25 Sauber will be back to Sauber until the contract kicks in with Audi in 2026 it's all it's a mess man it's a mess i i'm also reading stuff um that uh, Alpha Tauri is no longer going to be Alpha Tauri starting next season. That Hugo Boss is going to be the new title sponsor. So oh. it'll be Hugo Boss Racing still as the Red Bull Junior team, which yeah. is going to be. It's I don't know. It's it's very confusing. Very. I, I mean, if it were me, I would just want them to go back to Toro Rosso. That's just me. Right. Um, right. You're a big one fan, aren't you? I am. I I, I really am, and I, I I want to go ahead and thank two particular people who were getting me into formula one the first person is of course the co-founder of this podcast uh ron morris but prior to that and the only reason why i got into it was because i had been attention paying attention to it from from afar and then you always have those drivers there's those personas and whatnot that you see from afar that you're like oh man that person is so badass i want to see what they're up to and of course I knew about Michael Schumacher, um, the great Michael Schumacher. And of course I knew about Ayrton Senna, but the person that absolutely got me into formula one is Lewis Hamilton. It's the pop culture phenomenon that he is and whatnot. Um, but because of my love for formula one, um, it, that allowed me prior to that really open up 
to, I have a really big love and you know, this for, um, the UK car scene, like a lot of my favorite YouTubers, I talk to you all about them all the time. Like they're UK based. Um, and because of that, I've grown a really big appreciation for the British touring car championship, um, because that's the type of cars that I like. And I, I don't know about you, Dan, but I find it fascinating when you can go ahead and see a car that you would more than likely drive out on the street, actually seeing doing its thing, have factory support. Isn't that the best thing ever? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's for me, that's kind of the roots of motorsport, isn't it? You, yeah. First steps for anyone that gets into motorsport is they take an existing road car and they modify it uh, mm -hmm. or they start with carts, but they got the two options. But, you know, being able to relate to the car on the track, I think is a key element to some people's love of motorsport. I completely agree. And that's not to take away anything from, you know, open wheel racers, you know, like Formula One and IndyCar. And that's not to take anything away from stock car like in NASCAR. But, um, you know, actually seeing uh, a Mercedes Cosworth or a BMW M3 actually do its thing back in the day. Um, that That's the kind of stuff that you that really got you into it. So, Dan, I, I, I'm curious to know what was. You, you talked about from when you were um, an adult and being able to do the things that you did, you know, when you were at Microsoft working with a couple of the Formula One teams. But how was it that you came about to be a big automotive enthusiast? Like, you know, what was it? What, what was the first thing that you saw that you said, man, these um, these inanimate objects, as Mr. Pilling likes to say, what was it that sucked? Because you always ask us, man, what got you into the <laughs> inanimate objects, my friend? Yeah. So <laughs> So I guess my dad is a big Formula One fan and <clears throat> used to rally drive, but not professionally, he used to do it for fun. So there was a, a love of motorsport from him. He used to take me to, we would have uh, the British Motors Show once a year and it would be in Birmingham, which is the center of the country. Uh, and uh, you would get on, we would get on the train and we'd go up and see these cars. You'd take the posters home. All these people were handing out posters and they became kind of the posters on your wall. So uh, I think it started there. I've always been interested in how things work. And when I was doing my high school uh, diploma stuff, I would write to all the car factories and see if I could get a tour. Uh, and I managed to get around Land Rover when they were building the very first Discovery. Uh, I managed to get around the Ford plant. Uh, and at the time, it was, uh, you know, seeing them build these Ford cars, which it was interesting to me, but it wasn't like, wow. We finished this tour, and there was a uh, an escort Cosworth, which I don't think came to the U.S. unless it came on import. Is that right? That is correct. That is unfortunate that we got those cars. That and Sierra Cosworths are the just the jam, my friend. So we finished this tour, and there's an escort Cosworth sat there, and I say to this guy, and I'm 15 at the time, whose is that? And he went, oh, it's ours. Do you want it to go for a spin? I'm like, do I want to go for a spin? Of course. So this guy takes us out in, and I think it must have been like a pre-production one because the car wasn't out. Uh, so we, you know, get to do that. I got to go around uh, the Tom Walkinshaw factory. So Tom Walkinshaw was a big racer uh, who used to uh, do lots of racing for different manufacturers. And he won the contract to build uh, the Jaguar XJ220. Uh, so we're talking kind of mid-90s supercars, uh, a car that has a lot of le legend and myth around it because – it didn't end up being what a lot of people wanted it to be, but it was still mm. a fantastic car. Absolutely, so that being uh, you know being made. So at, at school, I was very impressionable when it came to cars and writing to these car companies. I got a big break, 
And it was nothing to do with cars. It's all about being in the right place at the right time. But I got a big break when my, my I've got two brothers and my middle brother was big into soccer or football, as I would call it. Uh, and he played for the regional representation and they were sponsored by Porsche Cars Great Britain. And as part of this, uh, you know, this, this sponsorship, they got a tour of the Porsche factory and it wasn't like a, they weren't manufacturing cars there, but they were definitely repairing and, you know, launching all the cars there. Uh, and I got this tour and I got talking to someone and I'm, I'm 17 at this point and I get talking to someone and I said, Oh, do you do internships? And they went, we do actually. And I was like, how do I sign up? So I managed to land an internship at Porsche Cars Great Britain uh, at a time when, you know, we're talking mid nineties. So we're talking a time when Porsche are not necessarily the most wealthy, you know, mm-hmm. had dark times. We, we kind of know them now as a company that everything they produce just sells instantly. Right. Absolutely. Um, but they were launching the 993 turbo, the 993 4S. And I managed to land a PR internship. I, I didn't have a lot of PR experience, um, but, uh, they were also importing Lamborghini into the, into the UK. So they had the rights to import Lamborghini. So this, this internship, near the end of it, I, uh, I get a, a message to say, hey, tomorrow you're going to be with the head of PR. You need to meet him at a, like a truck stop. Uh, and I had this little 958cc Fiesta. Uh, you need to meet him there and you're going to go filming with Top Gear for the day. And I'm like, all my dreams have come true here, right? Uh, and and Top Gear wasn't necessarily what everyone knows Top Gear as now. Sure, this was still um, but, Tiff Nadell, Jeremy Clarkson. This is yeah. pre Richard Hammond, pre James May. Yeah, pre the kind of holy trinity, but still a you know a, a decent setup. They were still a staple of British television, correct? It yeah, was, yeah. Uh, so I I drive this car to this truck stop. I meet James, who's the head of PR at the time. He's in a brand new nine nine three turbo. Uh, now. All the British turbos, so all the press cars that you ever see in any of the YouTube videos always run the 911 Hull number plate. So this is 911 Hull. Uh, Anyway, he takes me up to Millbrook. We're going filming with Top Gear. We're filming a concept car that Lamborghini have decided to release. But it's a concept car that runs. So a lot of concept cars, you just sit on a lawn and you look at them, this thing. And it was called the Lamborghini Carla. So at the time, the Diablo was out. But they wanted to investigate whether they should go for a smaller Diablo. Um, you know, we now know where that took them. Oh. Uh, I mean, have a smaller car than the Diablo. So this was this was this was them f- figuring out whether or not Gallardo was going to be a hit. Yeah. Wow, that's rad, man. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. I'm just blown no, no. away right now. That's awesome. So we we go to a place called Milbert Proving Ground, and Milbert Proving Ground is a, a, a test track in in the US, in the UK, sorry, where you literally have to kind of hand your phone over. You they do all these top secret testing of new cars and stuff. Uh, if you've seen the Bond film where the Aston Martin rolls, yeah, uh, of course, Casino Royale, Casino Royale, that was filmed at Millbrook. Yeah, isn't that like right. a mini Nurburgring almost in a way? Yeah, man? isn't it like yeah. super foresty? Yeah, yeah, yeah they've got all sorts of different sections. Mm-hmm. Um, and the presenter was Tiff Nadell. Uh, and I, I just didn't click with Tiff. But who I did click with was the Italian they flew over from Mattel Design. So Mattel Design designed this concept car, the Carla. Uh, and the son of Giorgetto, uh, Giorgetto Giorgio, mm-hmm. Fabrizio Giorgio, is the designer of the car. And I just got a click with him. 
and we were talking about cars all day. We were having lunch and spotting these cars that were kind of all, you know, flagged up like a mule. And he's like, oh, I designed that car. I designed that car. So it was probably one of the best days of my life. And you know, there's a very long answer to your question of how did I get into cars, but all these things built up to, to you know, to, to me becoming addicted. No, my God, but that's like an incredible story because we've already known each other for a really long time. I've never heard you tell that story. That's amazing. I'm blown away, especially knowing the fact that you were a, you know, having worked with the Top Gear publication at the time, but B, to have seen Lamborghini's, I guess, their development of what would become later on the Gallardo. So this would have been like mid 90s. Gallardo came out 2004. Oh, yeah. The first first year of the Gallardo was 04. So this was like eight years worth of development that's going into that car going in there. Oh, that's yeah. an amazing thing. Um, you know, you I, I, let's stick on that for one second, because you see this Carla in the mid 90s. You said this was about 95, right? So just that, to, I went to college in 96, so it would have been 93, 94. Oh, that's right, because that's the first year of the 993. So 994. I would I would assume that they probably waited a year for the turbo to come out after they launched 993. So that that makes sense. But so you know you're you're seeing this at the time. Fast forward a decade. You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen the Carla's picture, so I'm gonna have to. But maybe walk us through it. So for for those who've never seen the picture of the Carla concept before. How what wh- what are the comparisons? Did, like, do you see a lot of the Carla? In, did you see a lot of that in first gen Gallardo, or was it completely radically different? It was. Uh, so I think the first thing to probably say was the Carla had some cues from previous Lamborghinis. Mm. So uh, you know, you look at the mirror, for example, and you could see some styling cues. Right. It was pretty. I think you know. I think it's probably fair to say the Gallardo became much squarer, whereas this wasn't. It was curvy. Yes. Uh, but this, you know, this thing, I think they only made three. So, um, but this thing ran. Okay. You know, so this thing had, it was bright yellow. Mm-hmm. Had a, you know, a big wing on the back. Um, just a fun little Lamborghini. Uh, so, yeah. And I, and I got to, I, I didn't get to drive any of them, but I got to get driven in them. So I can sure. say, you know, been driven in the, in the Carla and the Diablo. And yeah, uh, the Diablo was uh, the one that was also filmed. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to see Tiff Nadell. He was doing donuts in the Diablo with the door up way before any influencers have done that. <laughs> Tiff was such a Tiff is to this day. He is like, listen, I know that we all love and adore Jeremy Clarkson whenever he's not saying stupid stuff, to be completely honest with you. I love Jeremy Clarkson, but let's be honest, he does say some stupid stuff sometimes. That all being said, Tiff Nadell has never been that guy. Tiff Nadell doesn't say stupid stuff he is just the cool grandpa for us in the automotive community there's like you know and you and i talked about this when we were on your podcast we talked about how like there's like a a mount rushmore of the guys and and in in the uk car community and media you know you've got jeremy and i think tiff deserves a a spot on there i think you and i came to the conclusion that harry metcalf deserves his own wing you know what I, mean? I think we gave him a farm we Next gave him a whole rushmore, farm there was a rushmore farm absolutely never and yeah, so yeah i was gonna say tiff tiff's an interesting person so i will say he's one of the best drivers i've ever ridden with mm-hmm. um i've worked with him on an event and i also 
So the, the story goes, I went filming with him on Top Gear. A few years later, I get to work at Goodwood Festival of Speed. Uh, Microsoft have sponsored the Windows 7 supercar paddock. And we okay. have a stand, and every two hours, they're bringing a different supercar onto our stand, and we're launching Windows 7 to the... Um, and Tiff Nadell is like the, 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 the guest DJ guy, the compare guy, the MC. Okay. So I start talking to Tiff and said, hey, I went filming with you like 10 years ago. We filmed the Lamborghini Carla. Nothing doesn't want to know. Doesn't want to have a conversation with me about it. Like, Interesting. Uh, so, um, and then roll forward a couple of years later, I win a competition with BMW, to go to Goodwood Festival of Speed and get taken out on the Goodwood track in BMW M cars. So then they they sign me up, I arrive, they're like, right, if you can go and put a helmet on over there and Tiffany will take you around the track. <laughs> so third opportunity to spend time with Tiff. I don't want to talk to him, but he is an amazing driver. Like sure. he was doing things on the Goodwood track that, you know, most drivers just wouldn't even, I wouldn't be able to comprehend how to do it you know, drifting around these corners, using every inch of the track. So, you know, great journalist, great driver, but just not my best friend. No, I totally get that. Well, this will be the last Tiffany question that I asked because, Promise. you know, base. <laughs> just, I mean, when you're talking about Tiffany Dell, you kind of have to go ahead and ask a couple of questions, right? It's, it's not every day, yeah. um, but it, I, I'm just going to ask this. Who do you think is the better driver? Is it Nadell or is it Clarkson? I think now, I know the answer. I thought you were going to say Chris Harris or Nadell. Oh, no, 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 no. I, boy, howdy. Okay, let's do Clarkson first, and then I'll ask you here. Yeah. I, I think definitely Tiff. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So then who's the better driver, Nadell or Harris? So the piece of concept or the piece of context you need to have for this is that Harris- There's A, like a 25-year gap between the two. That's one thing. Right. Yep, that's one thing. Now, they were on the track at the same time filming the Holy Trinity. They were. And other, and, and they've also done a, a bunch of other pieces as yeah. well together. Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't firsthand been in a car with Chris, but I will say that Tiff is the better driver. And I think if you asked Chris, Chris would say Tiff was the better driver. I think I'll agree with you as well. I mean, Tiff, you know, Tiff also has the uh, resume um of it having race professional right. yeah and i mean to to be completely fair to chris harris it's not like chris harris is just a guy on tv that drives like chris harris races professionally in the nurburgring 24 hours like he's got a super license like chris harris does stuff yeah we but, love his videos right yeah no no he's the man like he is he is the goat right now like he is what everybody wants to be whether or not top gear gets renewed for another season you know because of what happened with freddie flintoff and whatnot that's an entirely different story that has nothing to do with chris harris um chris harris to me is just on a different level there are very few writers and presenters out there that to me are on the same level as Chris. And if you're a better driver than Chris Harris, it's because you drove professionally. Um, so for example, you know, we, it's fair to say nowadays that there's a lot of, you know, um, motorsports personalities that have now ventured into media and had ventured into the journalism world. Right, Dan. And it's not fair to compare them to a regular journalist, but you know, you have, you, you have a Tiff Nadell that did that. You have um, in the, on the American side, you have your Randy Popes, you have your Graham Rahals who've gone ahead and, you know, ventured into journalism. Lee Keen is another person, of course, 
that has ventured into the journalism media aspect of it. Um, so it's not fit. Hell, you could even make the case that Jensen Button has, as well as Justin Bell, of course, Justin Bell's a perfect example of having ventured from motorsport into media, but it's yeah. not fair. But what is fair to compare is your Chris Harris with Jethro Bobbington and Henry Catchpole and Harry Metcalf and Clarkson May and Hammond. And then on the on the American side, you've got your Liebermans and you've got your Farahs. Um, and at low is a hell of a driver too. You know, Clapman, all these guys, it it is so interesting to go ahead and see how great they can drive. And yet there's still this major gap between them and like guys like Tiff Nadell and stuff, right? It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, it is crazy. The funny thing with me on Clarkson is he's been called out a couple of times where they've done this like filming of him driving a car. Right. And when it's come to the actual stunts or the drift or whatever, he's not driving it, but everyone Ooh. thinks he is. Yes, no, that's true. That but that's not a that's not a Jeremy Clarkson thing. That's just an industry. You know, an industry that's a top tier, you know, Paul, that's a BBC call. It's like, hey, listen, um, Richard Hammond's almost died twice now. <laughs> yeah, Probably not the best idea the to car. put one of the stars in the car to go ahead and do this kind of drift. But, you know, one of the best top gear episodes of all time is that the boys taking out a 330 diesel um, and racing yeah. 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, was Where was it? Where, where was that track? I think it was a Silverstone. Okay, cool. That's a fantastic episode, mind you. Hmm. I kind of rewatch. I kind of want to rewatch it. It's it's yeah. incredible. Um, now, I, I'm curious to know. The first time you and I met, um, you know, you told me what you did, and there's a couple things that you do on the outside um, that have allowed you to elevate your podcast, Danny P on cars, um, which is a fantastic listen. So many great stories from different individuals, Dan. I'm not saying that just to blow smoke up your ass. I think you're terrific. I mean, you're such a much better interviewer than I could ever be, man. And I mean that with That's rubbish. That's right. I appreciate the comments, but you're, you're, you're killing it, man. You're killing I appreciate it. you, man. You're the man. But um, one of the things that I noticed a, before we go ahead and talk about um, the Peterson, whatnot, was uh, you have, you, you know, you don't necessarily have, you have a YouTube channel, but it's not because you have, you do YouTube videos. You just go ahead and film stuff and you went, you, you throw it up on the, on the channel and whatnot. Um, and one of the first things that I saw, like I was scrolling down your thing and I, te- and I messaged you about this. I was like, oh my God. And it was when you went ahead and took your old Porsche Macan and you drove it down to Oregon and you went ahead and found the last, the last blockbuster, which is still open in America, shockingly enough. Yep. Um, now you did this from Seattle to where? Where is it in Oregon? It's in uh, Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon. Okay. I, Why does Bend sound fo- so familiar? Is that wh- which college is out in Bend, or what cl- college is close to it? Is that Oregon, Oregon State? I don't know. Go Ducks. Okay. Go Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Listen, know. I'm an Arizona. I'm an Arizona guy, man. You know, yeah. go Wildcats. The whole Pac-12 completely disintegrated between before our very eyes in like a month. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't understand half this college stuff, but uh, crazy, yeah, man. so I called it the blockbuster run. Huh? Um, what I tend to do is I do these little road trips. I love a road trip. You know, right. It's a great way to just you know re- unwind. Um, I give them a theme. I, I do video, record video for them, and it's just for me. I put them on YouTube, but it's for me to remember those trips, right? Right. Uh, so this one was a movie themed called mm-hmm. the blockbuster run. 
Um, it was nearly a thousand miles down to Bend, so I didn't go direct. Uh, That's far, considering it, yeah. how Washington and Oregon are right above one another. Or neighbors, Washington, right? yeah, it's crazy. Um, and I incorporated some movie themes into it. So, you know, the, the first couple of days was lots of twisty roads and great roads. Then I got to this last blockbuster um, and uh, and went in to check it out. Then I went off to some place called the Timberline Lodge. And the Timberline Lodge is famous if you're a fan of The Shining. Mm. So the Stephen King film, uh, the outside of it was the outside of well, the film. So I think they had two. They had an inside and an outside and the outside. Uh, so And then I cut it short, but I could have gone out to Aurora where the Goonies house is. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, then made my way back. So they, you know, it was a great road trip. I put it on YouTube, and obviously you saw it on on YouTube. It's a great it's a great little film, um, because it's not it's not like a it's it's not a piece to camera. Dan's not talking at all. Dan is basically giving you po- it's a it's one of the better cooler POV videos you can see car wise. Dan's got the camera facing forward, and it's basically him. you are seeing what dan's seeing right in front and it's so so good um how was the macan as a as a road trip car how did you like it yeah i loved it so i had the two liter turbo but it was Mm. the sports edition so for one year they they threw a load of stuff on it i guess they had some empty part you know had some full parts bins and they wanted to kind of get some stuff out before the new version so it wasn't the spiky three liter which is i'm sure a better car Mm. um but it had enough. Um, it was slightly tweaked, had sports exhaust, it, and it just handled really well. I, it was a, a car I miss. I don't have it anymore. Um, but it was a lovely little car. It was, you know, it it handled like a Porsche. If that makes any sense. I I completely understand where you're coming from. Right now, Dan's current car, Dan, forgive me, I forget. Is it an SQ? It's an SQ three, right? Or an SQ five? SQ five. Now the SUV. So, Yes. Oh, so it's Audi's. It's Audi's version of the Macan, Macan. if you will. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Different driving characteristics, of course. Um, It's got a three-liter versus the two-liter I have in the other one, so slightly quicker. Um, But I would say the driving experience in the Macan is a better driver's car. Um, But the Audi is a great car, especially in the snow. You know, in in Seattle when we go to the mountains, we you want something. I mean, the Macan handled perfectly well on the snow as well, but. Yeah, a little bit more trust in the Audi when it comes to deep snow. Yeah, I feel like, you know, as good as all-wheel drive is from Porsche, you know, they don't have a Quattro. You know what I mean? Literally, that's what they didn't Audi go rallying, did they? They didn't yeah, go rallying and, and no. learn it in the rallying. They've never, they've never done it before in their lives, just like Microsoft have never done anything with a computer ever. Uh, right. <laughs> but no, that's that's so, so good. And by the way, the last time... Um, one of the last times you and I spoke on a pod when we were hanging out with Ryan, uh, you had just put HREs, if I'm not mistaken, on the uh, on the SQ5. Uh, how are they holding up? How do you like them still to this day? Yeah, they're great. Shout out yeah. to the guys at HRE because they hooked me up with a a big discount. So uh, yeah, it's uh, got that influencer vibe, baby. Oh, if only, if only. I just don't have the influence of followers. Um, but I feel that. yeah, they're great, great wheels. So, you know, I, I really like them. It means that I can have a summer set of tires and a winter set of tires and, mm. uh, and you know, the, the winter set of the stock and the summer of the, the HREs. So Dan, you know, I want to, I want to get into the Peterson thing in just a second, but, um, you know, I remember 
having a really fun conversation with you a few months back. I want to kind of bring it back because it's been a few months and I want to see where your head's at now. Um, you gave me a hypothetical. So now that we're talking about the SQ5, and I think you had like, you were, we were talking about maybe like a 35 to maybe like $50,000 budget. And me, you and Ryan had a conversation about wanting to go ahead and see what the best car is that you could buy that Danny P Danny P on cars could go ahead and buy for himself. The caveat, if I'm not mistaken, was you didn't want another Porsche, right? Yep. Um, we threw out me, you and Ryan threw out a bunch of cars. Uh, I remember uh, the Mini Cooper, um, John Cooper Works Grand Prix was one of them. Um, Civic Type R was one of them. Um, I believe Focus that RS. we mentioned the Focus RS. Um, now that we are a few months afterwards, we can say Corolla GR 100%. Yep. Uh, that might be a little bit of a stretch considering that I don't think you'll be able to, unless you found one at a good, like the dealership is actually selling them at MSRP. But I think you could. I, th- I bet you you could, just not but in I Washington. I got an email today from CarGurus, and uh, there's a used one with 3,000 miles for 43,000. Okay, I would throw that into the. I would throw that into the mix. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm unique, but I sign up for all these subscriptions with CarGurus and these sort of people, and they <laughs> ping me today to say that there's a um, a GR white GR stock uh, hmm. with. Uh, three thousand miles for about forty-three thousand. So okay. I mean, still not you know where we would love these cars to be when ADMs kick in. It's just very frustrating. I don't know if you feel the same, but uh, it's... I hundred percent feel the same way. But at least I, I'm willing to accept forty-three thousand because that's about as close to MSRP, if not at MSRP for a GR Corolla. Um, and I would be willing to accept that. I still think it's a lot for a Corolla. I think that's a lot for a Corolla. I think it's good within that it meets the MSRP. Um, there's two different there's you know there's two different things going on right there, right? Um, another car that we had thrown out to you was a first gen BMW M2, so non comp, right? Um, yep. I think we got a little bit ambitious and said uh, last gen um, 4.3 liter V8 Vantage. Yes, we did. The, we did. We got a little ambitious. I'm not 100 percent sure if that's still the move, but. Um, and I think I threw out, uh, I did throw out a Camaro SS at you and y- you weren't. So I'm curious, I'm bringing this all up now because we talked about earlier in the conversation, how you having been here in the United States now for nine years, do you still feel like, what were your original feelings about American sports cars or muscle cars and what are they now? And would you be willing to perhaps look at Corvettes and Camaros or beyond other American sports cars? Yeah, I, I think when I moved over here, my perception of, and a lot of this is from Top Gear, but a perception right. of the American muscle cars is they are gas guzzling, uh, you know, big engines, not necessarily big horsepower for the engine size, uh, but still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and cars that don't necessarily handle well around corners. Um, now, I will counter that with during my time, I always try and hire, if I'm going anywhere, either on vacation or trips, I always try and hire a Mustang. Not the greatest car in the world. I totally get it, but I love them as a fun car, right? Mm -hmm. I associate vacations with them. My very first trip to Car Week, I had the, which is the two-door Dodge? The The Challenger. Challenger. The Challenger, thank you. Yeah. I had a 6.2 
Challenger. Challenger? Yep. And that thing was fun. No one realized what it was. It looked like just a regular... I don't know what the smaller engine is on those, but it just looked like a regular... There's there's two smaller engines. Um, actually, actually, there's... Excuse me. Let me go ahead and rephrase that. There are a total of four engines that you can now get on a Dodge Challenger and Charger. Uh, obviously, they're twins. One of them is two, the two-door. The other one's a four-door. But you can get a three-and-a-half-liter V6 Pentastar. Um, then you can go ahead and get their quote-unquote small v8 which is the 5.7 liter v8 hemi then you can go ahead and get the big scat pack motor which is the 6.4 liter v8 not uh, naturally it is naturally aspirated and then you can jump up to the hellcats which is the 6.2 with the supercharger that makes you know it, it it sneezes and it's making 700 horsepower yeah yeah so i would have had the hemi okay so that that was a fun car for car week. You know, it very much doesn't, didn't look the part, but great noise. Um, I also used to rent Corvettes when hmm. doing vacations and stuff. And I love a good Corvette. Uh, you know, they, they may not be the best built cars in the world. There may be panel gaps all the way around the car as you look. But for me, I would associate, you know, driving with the top down, down highway one or, you know, different trips with these cars as, as a great Americana thing. Yeah. I think it was a personal car. I don't think I could go there. Mm -hmm. I, maybe the, the only exception to that is maybe the Mustang 350. The GT 350. Now the new one or a, a 60s GT 350. The new one. Okay. Um, I could see myself in one of those. You know, I, I think they are, you know, a fun car and a car that is, is built with the driver in mind. So sure. I could sit from one of those, um, but I, I, I couldn't go Camaro. I just, I've driven Camaros. I've had them right. as rentals. They're fine. I don't know if it's the same, but maybe there's a Ford camp and a GM camp, and maybe I'm just in the Ford camp. Oh, there's definitely a Mustang versus Camaro type yeah. crowd. A hunt. Oh my God, my friend. Where, where oh, we say? need to, where do I fall? Ah, man, I fall right in between. I do because uh, I love them both. Yeah. I, I do. I love them both. I think they both have so such great things to offer. It's interesting because since 2011, the Mustang's engine characteristics has have allowed it. In particular, we're talking V8s only. The Mustang characteristics have changed dramatically. That there is a very big difference between the LS and LT engines that would go in a Camaro. And then the Coyote engine that goes in a Mustang, because it used to be that they both, you know, the, the before 2011, the GT engine that you got in a Mustang was a 4.6 liter V8, um, I think a single overhead cam, I, be, I believe. Anybody, please don't kill me if I got that wrong. From 2011, that's when the Ford introduced the Coyote engine, which is the 5 liter V8, and that is that a i think that's dual overhead cam please forgive me if i'm wrong whereas the ls1 as whereas the lt ls v8s from chevy gm i should say um those are the those are small i mean they're both small blocks but i, I think it's packaging is much smaller so even though you get quote unquote bigger displacement physically 
the engines and the GM, the LT and LS GM engines are smaller than the five liter Coyote. But yeah. what's interesting from a characteristic standpoint, this is where I'm actually know for a fact that I'm very confident about what I'm talking about, because again, I'm not a, I'm, you know how like that you can be in a car enthusiast, but you're absolutely not a wrench. That right. is me. I fall, I'm, I fall onto that camp. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm wanting to make sure I'm not messing up my verbs, uh, verbiage here. And I hope that people don't kill me in the comments, but the characteristics between a coyote and an LS LT series GM engine is the coyote engine revs much higher than the 6.2 GM V8s. So now in 2023, a stock Coyote V8 and a Mustang GT revs up to about 7,500 redline, whereas you might get maybe 6,500 redline out of a G, out of the LT1 in a Camaro or the LT2 in a current in a current gen Corvette C8. So that's a pretty big gap in between RPMs. However, because that V8 revs to about 7,500 in the Mustang the torque kicks in a little bit later whereas there's a much linear power band in the in the ls and lt series v8s from gm so let me use a perfect example current gen camaro right now is probably making about 455 horsepower and probably around 455 pounds of torque as is a camaro as is a corvette excuse me whereas a mustang is probably making about 450 but then lower 400s higher 300s on torque so there's there's quite a big gap so um yeah. and that's that is a, to me a very unique characteristic that the two have from one another that separates them i don't know yeah. that was a very and, and long there's a brand loyalty thing here for me because obviously we go back to that cosworth right yes Ford, Ford was where it was at so well it's 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 camaro. like um camaro versus mustang is about as bad as Lamborghini versus Ferrari. Yeah. yeah and, and perhaps on the even bigger, on a bigger stage, because a Camaro and a Mustang are much more accessible to people than, than a Ferrari and a Lamborghini would be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would, hell, I'd even say that a Camaro versus Mustang battle is bigger than that of a Corvette versus a 911. Yeah. You know, this my rivalry. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they, they they the Mustang came out and then GM's answer was a Camaro a year later. So they've been kind of going hand in hand for like the last 50 or 60 years. Um, so it's been a, a very interesting thing. But anyways, to give you my answer, I fall right in, right in the middle because right. I appreciate them both for what they can do. I think from a handling standpoint, the base Camaro SS platform gives you much more than the GT. But once you start to get into, you know, Ford performance, a Shelby GT500 is unbelievable. But so is a ZL1 Camaro, mm. you know? So yeah. maybe just to mess with people, I'll just say I'll go with a Hellcat. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Take the uh, take the third route out. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But yeah. Um, yeah, I'm still looking. I, I've just started a company, so it might take me a little bit longer to to get to get that fun weekend car again but uh i like the idea of the focus rs yeah i, I think want... i actually w- was was pro focus rs you when were, we had that conversation were, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as a, the for a former RS focus st mm-hmm. yeah you, you you've been there and done that you've sat in the seat right uh but uh i do hear build quality issues like like 
engine problems and um so that's the only thing that would kind of put me off but uh yeah i'll have to keep uh keep searching on that one i i think that you the good thing is that within the threshold of the money that you're looking to spend hypothetically the 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 that's a really big plate it's a very big buffet that you can choose from um just the cars that we mentioned now not including anything that we might have missed you know on top of that um because there are so many other things that you can go for and whatnot so i think that you have a a relatively open book for what it is that you can go for and whatnot by the way Speaking of which, you're such a great podcaster because you have this great way of being able to segue into things. I don't know how you do it, Mr. Pilling, but that all being said, 077 Media, my friend. Yes, yes. The Let's new talk, venture. man. Let's talk because I'm loving what you're doing so far here. So go ahead That's and fine. explain to people what 077 Media is all about. Yeah, so I decided to start a company. Uh, after spending 20 years in tech, I decided that I wanted to try and follow my passion. Uh, and uh, and start a company focused on automotive and motorsport. Uh, 077 Media, everyone says, oh, is that just a, a take on a riff on James Bond? It's not. 77 was my year of birth. And the very first Formula One driver I got to meet was Valtteri Bottas. And mm-hmm. Valtteri drives the Alfa Romeo with 77 as his number. Interesting, someone today, I announced, I announced my company today on LinkedIn, and someone said, oh, is it a play on words on the Aston Martin 177? Because 077. And that's I what I thought originally. Oh, you're in yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Of that. So uh, that's another great idea. Another, you know. So, uh, yeah. So essentially what I'm doing is I'm doing a combination of consultancy, marketing. And my first customer is a rallies. But... Um, they've been running for 13 years and they want someone to go in and help them think about their strategy. Uh, so, you know, what do they want to be known for in the next 13 years? How do they want to get there? What's their vision? And then how do they activate that vision? So, you know, the first piece of work I'll be doing is consultancy. Um, hopefully that will lead to other work. I'm really interested in some of the, the work that they have around potential partnerships and, uh, you know, just just doing some cool stuff with a rally company is is just up right on my street. Uh, I've been doing some other consultancy, but not been charging for it to get experience. Uh, so I've been doing some work on culture and helping uh, a small little car museum in LA, which happens to be regularly voted the best museum in the world when it comes to cars, helping them with their culture. Um, but I'm hoping it's the start of something big. Uh, if passion is an indication of success, then I'm one third of the way there already and just need to kind of activate it. So anyone who wants to uh, understand more, www.o77.media is uh, is me. Uh, and an interesting fun fact, if you register a company with 077 or zero anything, the IRS doesn't like it. So you have to go back and re-register it with the word zero and then the IRS is happy. So lesson one, keep the IRS happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do not you there if there's one agency on the planet that you don't want to piss off, it's the de- right. it's definitely the Internal Revenue Service. Um just I mean they can be I, I was going to go ahead and say something about them that I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm not going to go ahead and say anything at all. Let's move on quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for the opportunity of sharing the sharing yeah, money. Of venture. course. Not only that, by the way, go ahead and also check them out. Uh Dan has a separate Instagram for it. I believe it's at 077 Media as well. Um yes. 
to go along with, uh, of course, his Danny P on cars, uh, Instagram handle. Um, you know, you mentioned that little museum based out of Los Angeles. Gosh, I wish I remembered the name of it. Oh, that's right. It's the Peterson. Yes. Those guys are my family. Um, Dan, how the hell did you get into the Peterson and get that connection, man? Like respect brother respect. Uh, uh, so Microsoft actually sponsors the museum. And the the guy who was running the sponsorship for the museum, I got talking to, and he said, "Hey, you know, we sponsor this car museum in LA, and you know, back to my minimal knowledge of U.S. car culture, this founded by the guy who created Hot Rod magazine, right? It doesn't get much more car culture than that. Uh, is this museum in LA called the Peterson? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went down for a visit. Uh, whenever it's like you and I, whenever two car people talk and get on." It's just the conversation rolls and rolls and rolls. Uh, so I ended up getting going back. I ended up getting invited to some of their events. Uh, and I remember going to a launch of an event they did where uh, the, the film Back to the Future is obviously iconic for the DeLorean, where there were two folks that created that film, um, Robert Zemeckis and the other guy whose name has just escaped me. And I'll have to look it up in a minute, but uh, um, let me just... Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. I'm at the launch of a movie-themed exhibit, getting my photo with Bob Gale next to a DeLorean. Uh, so they kept inviting me to events. I kept saying yes and coming back. Uh, I had dinner one time with Jeff Swart, uh, who oh, what a is very famous for you know commercials, Porsche commercials, Porsche videography. Uh, he is. I'll just say that the folks at the Peterson are. Are great friends of mine. Uh, I hang out with them all the time. Um, so we had an event up here in Seattle where uh, we were exhibiting some Peterson cars. Uh, and, you know, like any museum, they, they run lean uh, and they were shipping cars up and only one of the team was coming up. So I was like, I'll help you. We ended up pushing a Bugatti EB110 out of the trailer. I ended That's up normal. A couple of cars. Uh, you know, I, I got to drive a car that I can't really talk about, but it was a dream car. Uh, so, yeah, just just great people, really lovely people, uh, all car people uh, and just very kind to me. And I'm very lucky that I know them and they're in my life. No, very much so. I, I It's a relationship that I think is, uh, you know, you've built a lot of trust around and I admire you and commend you for being able to go ahead and keep those types of relationships because it's not every day that the Peterson comes calling and says, Hey, you want to come hang out? You want to come do this? You want to come do that? And you know, you're an ambassador for the uh, Peterson museum. Like that's, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't just fly around. You know what I mean? That's not a title that anybody just can go ahead and get. And for you to, have that type of relationship. Um, I think it speaks well for what you bring to the table. Um, you know, not just with Danny P on cars, but just as an individual, um, as someone who loves, and it, again, we call ourselves the ambassadors of car culture, but I've gen it's, it's, I, I think i really do think that myself, you and Ryan do take that title to heart. I, yeah. I I don't think it's just oh it's a cute nickname or whatever. No, we have podcasts that are based on our on all different types of car culture. It's what we do. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. It's it's kind of what we do. We represent and we you know share our passion. Um, the 
it's interesting that when COVID hit the museum, I worked with them on non-museum stuff. So how does a museum operate during a time when they can't take the general public in as guests? Well, they go digital. So we recorded some videos up here in Seattle. Uh, and in particular, if you search for BMW Car Heaven at the Peterson, or if you search for the Peterson Automotive Museum and Rally Cars, uh, they were two of the videos I worked on, two local collections that I helped introduce to the museum. And, you know, we we, we did some cool stuff with, uh, with videos. So uh, just some homework for folks if they're interested. Uh, there's two cool videos there. And one of them was my iPhone uh, and the owner of the collection's iPhone walking around filming his collection, 77,000 views. Like, my um, you know, talk about production quality versus the need, you know, the impact, you know, it was low production quality and it's had a massive impact. Dan, forgive me. And I'm trying to remember Peter Gleason, who you did a two-parter, I believe that's the gentleman that is part of the BMW car heaven. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So Peter's uh, got a BMW collection up here in Seattle. Um, For those that at car week last week, if they went to the quail, uh, which is uh, one of the big events of the week. It's where a lot of the car companies launch their cars. Peter's car was the poster car. So he has a BMW M1 Pro car. Uh, so these are the 70s uh, race series, uh, and they did a road car as well. And um, his car was commissioned as a art car. So BMW have got this big history of doing art cars for marketing purposes, but this was a private uh, art commission on a BMW M1 Pro car. And that car was the poster child of the Quail. So if you were walking around with a Quail badge, you had a picture of Peter's car on your on your chest, if you will. Um, so that's a, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of his car collection. So check out that video. You know, you'll see probably some of the finest, no, the finest motorsports BMW cars in the world are in a collection in Seattle. I love it. And it's like you're wearing a badge of honor, right? Yeah. It's yeah. very cool. Um, let's 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 talk a little bit about Monterey, but I don't want to do do too deep of a dive because I'll be doing a, a respective Car Week review in, in a, probably a couple of episodes here and whatnot. But I do want to talk to you about you. You were watching some of the auctions. Um, I know about some of the auctions just because of things that popped up on my social media and whatnot. We were kind of discussing it a little bit right before we went on air, and we said, "Hey, let's hold time tight. Let's talk about it as we." you know, go ahead and wrap up the episode, of course. And so, you know, I'm looking at John Tamarian's Instagram page, shout out to John Tamarian. And of course, curated one of the coolest car dealerships on the planet based out of Miami. And so I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine cars. These are all modern classics, if you will. All right, Dan, these are this is what I would call my bread and butter. These are the cars that I absolutely love and adore. Um, now, granted, that being said, um, there is a Mira on here. Not to say that I don't love a Mira, but I'm fully aware that that's not a modern classic. So everything past the Mira is mid-90s and up. Okay? Um, we have a 1972 Lamborghini Mira P400 SV that the estimated price that it was supposed to go for was between 3.5 to two to 4.25. Um, it had 1,486 kilometers. When it comes to these types of cars, the kilometers don't matter. We, the mileage doesn't matter. We, we know that that car went for 3.58. So I would say 
just a smidge over the first estimated price, right? Because we said it started at 3.5. So, okay. It barely went over, but it still went for three and a half million plus, Dan. Like, that's pretty ridiculous, right? Yep. I mean, Miras are, yeah. So the, the thing with all these auctions is that the the high price on a, an estimate is always overly optimistic. Right. Um, so that's kind of the first thing to, to take into mind. But yeah, you've, you've got to, I don't know, I think, I'm no expert on this, but I think the Mura's got room because what's coming up so behind too. it, the Kuntash. And yeah. they're starting to really, so, you know, they're starting to really get, Oh my god! And I mean, six-speed LP six forties are already starting to get into the millions, yeah. which is nuts to me. To oh my god, I don't even want to get into that because I'm just so angry that that car is going up to such a price that I'm never going to be able to sniff it. And Diablos are probably going to come right after that too. And I'm just, yeah. I'm really starting to get, starting to feel anxiety. <laughs> so, so I, I think if you look what's coming behind as an indication of. Those mirrors, I think, I mean, that's an There's room. Book. There's room There's for room. them, which is absolutely insane. The next one, we had an 05 Carrera GT. Estimated price was between 1.25 and 1.65. This car is a silver um, with the terracotta interior. So it's your typical, it's your typical CGT. Um, 1.25 to 1.65, that car sold for 1.49. So up on the high end. That's yeah. That's crazy to me. I I keep hearing oh CGT CGTs are coming down lies lies those are people just trying to go ahead and get them for cheaper. What they were like six seven hundred thousand, weren't they? I, they were like right before the pandemic. They were like around that price, and then they just shot up. Yeah. Okay. Here is a car. This is just the prices going forward for these cars, and I'm just never going to understand it. This is a uh, Russell Corsa, of course, a Ferrari Enzo, an O3 in particular. Estimated price was between 3.75 to 4.25. This one went for four, $4,075,000. That's crazy town to me, man. I'm going to look up to see if others sold, but Enzo's a $4 million now? Like That's nuts to me. And I mean, they were pricey when they first came out, right? Weren't, that was a half a million dollar car from Ferrari, like brand new. And I was just like, that's a lot of money. And they're $4 million? Aren't laughs like two? Well, I'm just looking, right? So in 2015, mm-hmm. an Enzo sold for 2.1. So 20, they doubled. 2018, 3.7. Wow. I mean, obviously so, different conditions and stuff, right? But So basically what I'm understanding is probably in the next five to 10 years, an Enzo could go ahead and end up being a $10 million car. That's right. If you do the math right, that's insanity. But then I think the F50 is around four million now as well. Yes, F40s are cheaper, but F40s is like two. Uh, and they made—I think they made less F50s than they did of F40s, if I'm not mistaken. They did right? so okay. significant because it's the last stick, right? Yeah. Oh my god, that's that. insane. Yeah. All right, so the next one we got back to a Ferrari. Uh, this is a five seventy five, a five seven five M Super Americas. This is a six speed car, the six speed manual. Um, Argent Argento Nurburgring, so it's silver. Is that it's silver? Yeah. Um, again, mileage doesn't matter, but just in case, thirteen thousand two hundred and two. Here's the estimated. Here's the estimate: six fifty to eight. 
And this car went for 808. So it went over the highest estimate. Okay. Here we go. There's there. That's the indication. Six speed manual Ferraris are going bye bye. 100%. Next, an XJ220. You talked about this earlier. Yeah. Um, I think it's that's to me, XJ220s, they are a legend. They are a myth. They're also relatively controversial. We were supposed to get a V12. They could only fit a V6. It was supposed to go ahead and get up to 220 miles an hour. It never did, but it's still fast as hell. It's a five speed yep. manual. Um, but they're an interesting car. Up now, aren't they? They're... So, well, what are we talking? Five, six hundred thousand? So, here's the estimate. They expected between 550 to 650. This is 2062 kilometers. Uh, this car is Le Mans Blue, 687. Wow. Went for 687. So it went for 30 grand over the highest estimate. Now that is crazy. Absolute crazy town. Um, a 1990 F40 red exterior, red interior, not driven. This is a 932 kilometer car for the love of God, for the love of God, drive your cars, people. A 940, a 932 kilometer F40. You should be ashamed of yourself. I don't care about museum pieces. Just stop. You don't, just, it's a it's a machine you use it you don't buy a piece of clothing just to admire it you go ahead and actually wear it i can understand if for example you got something like a michael jordan signed jersey or you know in 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 dan's case if david beckham signed one of his old chelsea jerseys and stuff like that look at me i know a little I bit know, of football, he didn't man. play for chelsea did he not are you sh- god damn it david i'm such a come beckham, on who do you play for? Manchester United? Man you. Right? Yeah. Okay. And then Real Madrid. Are you Beckham didn't play for Chelsea? No, I don't. Oh. Sam. Well, I mean, I'm <laughs> such an idiot, and I'm so sorry. Man United school of like he was part of the okay. so, I, I, I'll, I'll I be gotcha. British say so maybe. No, 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 no. I think if anybody's gonna be right it's going to be the brit that's on the podcast <laughs> it's yeah. like be, let's be completely honest so for that i apologize i will leave that part in so people know that i'm an absolute idiot but that being said drive your cars is what i'm trying to get at estimate on this f40 was between 2.8 to 3.4 this uh f40 went for 3.05 yes. 3.305 excuse me so right up there almost on the highest of estimates that this car could have which is absolute insanity again Barely under a thousand kilometers, which is crazy to me. Next, we have okay. So this is where I was really blown away, Dan. He because this car has really gone up, and it sucks because this was one of the entry level Ferraris that I think you can buy if you're making well okay. Like if you're making good money, you could have bought this, but not anymore. So this is a uh, an O3 360 Modena Spider with a six speed. Okay. Um, this is black on black again, a spider 4,454 miles. The estimate, the estimate was between 175 to 225, which already Dan, I was like, damn, that's high. I did just up the estimate. I was like, that's high. I don't care if it's got a six speed. That's high. Yep. It exceeded the, it exceeded the top end of the estimate. 268.8. There's a coupe down the road from me for sale for 175,000. It's a do I need to snap that up? Brother, yeah. Yeah, because uh, 175 is already high. 175 right. oh, for, for 360, that's what's a 458 going for? Are 458s about to go creep back up into the 300s? Well, 
on stick. They did. They made so few. I would imagine. Yeah, but I can understand an, a four thirty going up for that high, but yeah. a three sixty. That's that's a lot of money for a three sixty. I don't care what you say. It's the theme of manuals, right? Manual. Oh my god! I wear it down. No, I guess so. But unbelievable. That's just crazy. Two sixty eight eight for a Ferrari three hundred and sixty. Spider is absolute crazy town to me. And then last but not least, we have another five seven five. This is a Marinello um, with the HT the HGTC pack, and this is also a six speed manual. Um, Russell Corsa black interior. High mileage, I would say for a 575, 25 and a half thousand miles. Good on that person or who, whoever owned it. Yep. Variety of you drove your car. Good for you. The estimate was between 375 to 450, Dan. Take a guess at where it landed. 850. So you're going 850K? No, lower. A little lower. No, not quite, but five, half. So half a mil, 500, 500 Gs. Wow. That's a lot of money, though. Uh, 500 grand for a 575 Marinello. That's a lot of money. Yeah. You, the, the type of car that you could buy now for 500 grand is crazy to me. Now, that all being said, if I also had 500 grand and I was staring right in front of me and I had to look at a 575 at Marinello or look at a 765 what LT, I'm sorry, brother. I'm, I'm 100% going with the 575 any day of the week. Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's still uh, a lot of money, though. It's crazy money. I was going to talk quickly around the... So this car week saw the first, I think the first, non-Nurberg edition LAF, uh, not LAF, LFA, mm. got a million dollars. I saw that. You said that to me. A million dollars. That's insane. I mean, LFAs have been going up for a while now, but you are you were right. It was the Nürburgring editions that were going up above a mill. Everything else was like chilling around. I say chilling around like as if it was a right. very low price. But we would see the averages be anywhere between like 500 to like maybe 750. So for it to go up to a mill, I wouldn't say that quickly because I think it's taken a while. But still, a million is a million. Once cars start to hit a million, that's like a, a, a it's a level of just like, nah. But it's a Lexus. I'm good. Yes. Yeah. It's a Toyota. It's a Toyota product that went for a million bucks. Now, I wonder how much of that legacy is due to Clarkson. Because he notably said, this is the best car I've ever driven. I understand where you're coming from. I think you have a really great point. Maybe, but I also think that the Toyota reputation is probably what precedes it the most. I think that the Toyota reputation of being a car that Toyota's in general, having this incredible reliability stamp on them for the last like 60 to 70 years. And it's never really gone away. You know, the reliability, reliability standards always been there. And so when you add it to a very high performance vehicle, such as the elephant, I mean, not that this is quite on the same level, but just hear me out for one second. You look at Supra's, right? With the two Jay-Z engines. If you find yourself a stock Supra with the two Jay-Z, that's going for like well over a hundred grand every, any day of the week. Right. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Because of people's remembrance of now that probably has to do more with the fast and the furious to, right. to an extent or Gran Turismo, but then also 
people just have this thing about Toyota and Honda are like these reliability staples that exist within the car realm. And so when you add it to a really cool looking, cool driving type vehicle, it just kind of like makes it a whole unicorn in and of itself. So you take that with Lexus and you amplify that to a whole different level. Yeah. You know? And then the V10, got the V10. V10, that Yamaha V10 is crazy. You remember the? Do you remember the the commercials back in the day, Dan, when they went ahead and stacked up the 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 champagne glasses right behind them? You have it. Oh man, I'm gonna have to send you that one. Yeah, it's um, but it's interesting because like nothing on the Japanese side gets near that, you know, with the exception of something like a Toyota from the 70s, right? Those mm-hmm. things that they did, they're a million dollars, but. You know the 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 NSX isn't there yet. The you know the old. I think Skyline. I think R thirty four Skyline GT GTRs will get there eventually, and okay. I hate to say that, but I mean they're already what they're going for now, and I don't see them dropping. Like I was thinking to myself, oh, maybe now that the GTRs are starting to become legal, people are going to pay a lot of money up front for them, and then like they'll drop. I don't quite think that'll be the case at all. I yeah. think that they're either going to hold steady or they're going to go up in value. And that kind of scares me a little bit. The NSX undervalued is the NSX undervalued. I'm not going to say it's overvalued because I don't think it's overhyped. I think it's like what I'm going to use. I'm going to be right in the middle and say it's valued. I think that if you're spending more than if you're spending more than 115 grand on an, on a, on a, uh, you know, first gen NSX, I think you're whew, that's a lot of money to spend. But if you went ahead and like spent like 90 G's or 100, like anywhere between 90 to 100 K, and you actually just you drove your car to kept it and kept it, I think that's money well spent because that's a cool ass, really dope ass car. That- you look at the equivalents from Nissan, right? And they're double the price of a NSX. So the, the skylines. Well, I would say the R34 is yep. that, but like you look at an R33, R33, you could actually get for a very reasonable price. You know, by the way, R33, maybe that's a car that you should go ahead and add into the into the bucket uh, of those uh, of for you perhaps, because um, I think that a the R33s don't get anywhere near as much love as the R32s and the R34s, but they provide just as good of a driving. Um, experience as the two origin as the two that people hold up in high regard but um the nsx is i don't think it's quite as fast as a skyline gtr no it's but it's it's, but it is a mid-engine sports car and then the history right the 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 concept of the design and you know the fact that and senna was involved with it and it's got all these ingredients that say it should be a legacy you know, for, the, for for Honda and for Acura. In the UK, it was a Honda NSX. It wasn't an Acura NSX. It's interesting right. that over here it has a different badge. And um, But it, it's yeah. interesting that they're still not quite... Um, the R33, is that right-hand drive only? Did you... Could all, you all, all, th- all, all three, every Skyline GTR is going to be right-hand drive, yep. Yeah, you, you couldn't get them here. Right. So everybody's yeah. importing them. They started importing them back in... Um, well, 25 years after they came yeah, out, right? So 2015. So I think the first uh, first R32 GTR, I think it's uh, 89. So it would have been 2014, 2015 time that they started importing them. Yeah. Um, 
great cars. I love them. I, I would love to own one. I in, prefer, in particular, I mean, I love an R34 just because I grew up on Gran Turismo and I grew up on the Fast and the Furious, too Fast and Furious to be example, you know, with Paul's car. But um, I think the one to get is the R33. Um, but then people adore the R32, the original Godzilla. Um, yeah. So I, I think whichever Skyline GTR, you, if you've got money to spend on Skyline GTR, I think you've made it in life. And I'm 100% okay with you buying whatever the fuck You're you in want. In a good place. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's end it on this because, you know, we've, we've highlighted uh, a few of the things that you've done, but I definitely want a do people know about danny p on cars both the instagram account as well as the podcast i think that what you're doing with the podcast is amazing i think your first season you hit it out of the park my friend congratulations on all your success um the guests that you had on there um the access you were able to get i think that speaks volumes to your connections but then you got to work hard to play hard to get those connections and i think that's that that speaks volumes onto what the things that you bring into this but you know as you as you come along and you get ready for i guess the launching of your of the second half of your first season or if you want to call it your second season what do you want to get more out of the podcast what do you want it to do as service to those that are listening to it yeah i mean thank you for the comments i think you know we're in good company and you, you measure yourself by your peers like yourself so you know i think i'm in good company here appreciate you bro season 2 which will be coming out very shortly more of the same. I kind of feel like I've learned my craft in season one. I, I was lucky enough to pull in some guests through friends and relationships. And I'm actually starting to see people now reach out to me and say, hey, can I come on your podcast, which I think is a great sign. And I think I'm kind of ready for it. Uh, I've talked about having Cody as one of my guests. Uh, I had someone reach out to me today from a certain auction house that will be auctioning what potentially could be the most expensive car ever auctioned. Uh, in November, uh, a factory Ferrari 250 GTO. So only one 250 GTO was actually raced by the Ferrari factory. Um, and one of the folks involved in that sale has reached out to me. So in a short answer to your question, more of the same, but just with the learnings taken forward from from the previous season. That's beautiful, man. What would you say were a couple of the lessons that you felt were key in order to being able to go ahead and expand and also just better the product as a whole? Uh, I think uh, the first lesson is uh, what I call the 80-20 rule. So mm -hmm. if you listen to my podcast, I want my guests to be the one talking. If you're listening to me, you're not listening to my podcast. You know, the, the lesson there was to create a platform for the individual to be able to tell their story and then let them shine. Uh, so that was probably the first lesson. Lots of lessons around how to actually produce a podcast. So, you know, th these things that we do are, are not trivial. You know, lots of time effort, as you know, uh, you know, lots of time editing. That they're, they're big pieces of work to produce something that is, you know, between 45 and, and maybe just over a, an hour long. Um, so learning how to do that craft, I think, has been a, a great learning that I'll take forward. So, you know, let your guests shine and produce the best piece of work you can. I love that, man. Um, you know, you, you have a lot of things that you've taught me and I try to go ahead and incorporate onto this podcast. Um, so thank you very much for kind of having been a mentor, uh, a little bit, and, you know, you always bring us together and you, you always bring these great tidbits of information that I'm like, damn it. I wish I knew that prior, but I can get the opportunity to go ahead and 
add it back in afterwards and hopefully continue to expand and better my episodes. Um, the last thing I want to ask you, because, you know, you have a question of, you know, why is it that you love these inanimate objects? But my question is, what does car culture mean to Dan Pilling? Um, I think car culture to me is that no matter who you are, uh, where you live, where you're from, what your background is, if you have a love for the same thing and you are able to find, you know, a, a level and appreciate it, celebrate it, then, you know, that's, that's part of the tribe that I talk about on my podcast. You know, it's, it's all about finding affinity with other people on a common area. And it, it might be that some folks love JDM or some folks love hot rodding and it doesn't matter. You've got this love of cars uh, and this culture is is created because of this love of cars. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that's kind of my thoughts. No, that does. It sums it up perfectly. Um, that's, that's what it's all about, right? It's just taking what we love and just putting it out there and, you know, we are call car, we are car culture. Car culture is within us. It's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, Dan, I th- thank you, thank you so much, man, for for having come along to TT. Um, you have been an excellent guest. Um, I think that I, I hope that I've allowed um, a platform for you tonight where you were able to go ahead and feel relaxed and be able to go ahead and share what you wanted to go ahead and share. We didn't even get a chance to go ahead and talk about the Mustang GTD. Let me get your thoughts on the Mustang GTD real quick before we go ahead and sign off tonight. For um, those of you who don't know, the Ford the Ford came out swing. What is, was that the quail? Was that first night of the quail? I'm trying to think. I think or it no, was before the quail. It was Thursday night. It was Thursday night. They came out swinging with their with Ford's new platform, which is the S the S650 because so it's based on the S650 it's not on the S550 it is a Mustang Ford is backing it but it's built by Multimatic and it's a new Mustang GTD it's essentially a Mustang GT3 car for the road utter freaking insanity dude this thing is wild looking and it looks like it's going to do some wild things on track you saw it what were your first thoughts on it because it's a $300,000 car 300 yeah. grand we were trading, trading trading a few texts on this, weren't we? So I have already established on this podcast that I'm a fan of Ford. Yes. $300,000 for a Mustang. Mm-hmm. It's wow. wearing an oval Ford badge. It's wearing a pony. Mm-hmm. $300,000. <laughs> what else could I buy for $300,000? It's a lot of stuff that you could buy for 300 Gs. But here's where, and this is where I went ahead and told you. It's built by the same people that are behind the Ford GT, the current gen Ford GT. So Multimatic has been brought in by Ford Performance to go ahead and be the key builders of this vehicle. Does that at all tickle your fancy a little bit more than it just being a Mustang? So then I think the bigger question is if they branded it the Ford GT 2024, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of branding it the Mustang, would Mm -hmm. I think differently? And I think, no, it still looks like a Mustang. Well, and I'm very clear. I wanted to, yes, I, I love the fact that it's a Mustang, but I think knowing the DNA behind it, that it's the same guys that built the current Gen 4 GT, which from a driving perspective is an amazing supercar, right? Yeah. And so like, to me, I'm like, wow, Ford, G, Ford Performance literally took all the budget that they could go ahead and throw out a Mustang and said, this is, because it's not even... If you were to look at that car and say, oh, it's a Shelby GT500 on steroids, 
you're completely doing a disservice to right. to the, how that car is being described because it is far from that. This is a full on like this is Ford making a race car out of a Mustang and they barely made it road legal. And it's insanity to me. And it's yeah. still yeah. I think hats off to Ford for doing it. Mm-hmm. I think big kudos to Ford for you know, they stole Car Week, right? Uh like Lamborghini launched an electric SUV. Not a single thing no no was given. Out, right? Ford Lanzador the Lanzador, I think is what it's called. Lanzador. I, Labrador. I don't know whether it's, it's uh, Labrador. <laughs> The Lamborghini Labrador. Um, oh, it's so good. <laughs> but but I think I just look at what that's up against. Mm. And 911 GT3 RS, I can't mm. get beyond that. Like if I was paying my money. Yeah. I mean, I get it. But so that but that's one car though, Dan. GT3 RS, right? I mean, that's not the only car that this thing is being aimed at. You know what I mean? I can't get beyond the price of three hundred thousand dollars. You know, appreciate the fact that this car is technically so advanced. But when you put it up against the idea of having a GT3 RS, I want a pony on my bonnet, but I want a prancing horse, not a pony. Sure, I, I see where you're coming from. I think you very. I, I think your 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 point is probably well observed by a, a large portion of people. I think the one thing that we have to remember, though, is that's like me going ahead and saying, you know, how can Singer go ahead and charge a million for a DLS when it's basically based off of a $50,000 964, you know, and here they are charging 20 times the price. Um, Whereas, and I understand the engineering and everything that goes into a Singer. I'm not taking a shot at Singer. I promise you, I'm a huge Singer guy, but you know, this is new technology mixed in with hardcore, and I mean hardcore performance. Um, that's factory backed. That's the thing; it's factory backed, which is a key thing. That's why the nine. That's why the GT3 RS is what it is, right? Because it's factory backed. That's Porsche's GT department going ahead and skunk works, as I like to call it, full on. Just getting down into the nitty gritty to go ahead and create something that's absolutely crazy and asinine. And this is Ford saying, okay, well, let's try it on the Mustang. Let's see what we can come up with. This thing is wild. This thing is wild. I can't wait to see this thing go out on track and do some just some crazy stuff. Yeah. And it's not going to go ahead. It's not about smoky burnouts in this thing or anything like that. I'm looking forward to a Mustang setting down lap times that I'm just going to be like gobsmacked with. Cause I mean, GT 500s can already kind of do that. But again, saying that this is a GT 500 on steroids is such a disrespectful comment to this car. Maybe it's the brand I can't get beyond. Perhaps it might be. And who knows? Maybe this is the car that goes ahead and allows you to say, uh, yeah, no, I see what they did. I see yeah. what they did. I was wrong. Yeah. And, you know, going with Multimatic, I think, is a fantastic step in the right direction. Yeah, it's it's just paying that much money for a Ford. Now, the GT is a different conversation because that was built. I don't think they've announced this car going to Le Mans or anything like that. So maybe if it does go to Le Mans, my opinion will change as well. I would love to see it go to Le Mans, especially after seeing the Garage 56 stock car 
from uh, Hendrick Motorsport do it with Jimmy Johnson and with Jensen Button and with Jordan Taylor. That thing was the yeah. coolest thing ever. It's yeah, well, I mean, it's, it doesn't have to adhere to any rules, right? It's like no. it would be, it would fall to... under it would fall under the class of like not having to go ahead and do anything and not have any competition. It would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking, I'm really, I'm genuinely gobsmacked by this car and it's not every day that I get this hyped up about a Mustang, but this, this thing is truly next level. And, uh, I know 300 grand is a lot of money, but we just went ahead and talked about, you know, some cars that people aren't driving, let alone are going to be driving correctly. That just went for like 4 million you know, I would expect someone dropping 300 large on a GTD. Is that what, it's called the GTD, right? The Mustang GTD. GTD yeah. And I don't think okay. Just want to make sure I didn't want to be mispronouncing, but I, I would hope that if somebody's dropping 300 large plus on this car, they're going to use it for what it's meant to be used for, which is like just utter track destruction. But I could invite my friends to the track, buy that Corolla GR, buy uh-huh. that Focus RS, buy that Aston in buy three other cars of similar price invite five of my good friends to the track and have just as much fun that's yes and you could go and the amount of things that you could do with what enzo is going for these days is just unbelievable you're yeah no you're right but um that being said um dan thank you so much my friend i do appreciate you you are the man you know how much i love you and got so much respect for you and i'm just so happy that you got a chance to go on TT tonight. Um, where can they go ahead and find uh, Danny P on cars on Instagram and where else can they find the podcast as well as 077 media? Yeah. Thanks. So firstly, thank you for having me. It's a great honor to be invited onto your podcast. You know, you're really killing it. The guests that you've had and you've got coming up, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, I, I, I can't compete with those guys. So I am very honored to be on, on the podcast if folks want to check out my Instagram, it's uh, D9NNYP. Someone got there ahead of me and got Danny P. So, uh, But I used to have the number plate in the UK, the license plate on my car, D9NYP. So I'm oh, that's D9 perfect. NYP, uh, on, or just search on any browser for Danny P on cars and uh, it'll come up. Awesome. Yes. Please go ahead and check out the podcast. Um, his new season should be starting up in the next couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to it, buddy. And then 077 media, go ahead and check out the Instagram. Um, and then it's now on LinkedIn. So if you want some consulting for any type of motorsport or any type of car adventure type stuff, Dan Pilling is the man. So please hit him up. Um, and it's been an absolute privilege, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time tonight. Okay, buddy. Thank you. Anytime. On behalf of Dan, my name is Jorge Aquino, and you have been listening to Tormenting Tarmac, and it's the podcast where the enthusiast never dies. Have a great night, everybody.